I was doing a lot of work around CDS. And my God, in those days, it was unbelievable. We were doing 15, averaging maybe 10 to 15 shows a week. A lot of it was at CBS. I never got involved in the comedy shows, so I did all of the dramatic shows. I started doing the opening voice in it. Frankly, I don't remember how it started, but I did an awful lot of it. In March of 1954, Escape was still airing on CBS. Although it was frequently dropped and moved around the network schedule, it was popular and cheap enough to consistently come back. During its heyday, Escape was produced and directed by William N. Robeson. The first story editor on Escape was a man named John Meston. John Meston went on from being story editor at CBS out of the coast to being creator of Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke, oh yes. And John Meston was followed by John Dunkel, a very, very intellectual type fellow. And it was John Meston and John Dunkel who were principally responsible for the selection of the material and the acquisition of it. Their contribution was superb. Practically never did I disagree with them. So if you were complimenting the quality of the material on Escape, those were the two men who were responsible for it. The quality of the production was mine when I was doing it. Other people also did the show through the years. Harry Bartell was a frequently featured actor. All I know is that some of the finest roles and some of the most classic stories came up on that show. That was Norm MacDonald's show, by the way. Bill Robeson did it for a while. Working with Bill Robeson was always interesting because there was a lunch break. The first two acts would be rehearsed in tremendous detail with extreme synchronization of sound effects and balance and everything. And after lunch, we never got around to the third act of the dress rehearsal. (laughs) And so the last part of the show was always sort of winged. (laughs) Probably the best part. Les Crutchfield often penned scripts for the series. Escape's original assistant director was Norman MacDonald. He later became famous for being at the helm of Gunsmoke. I first came to know Les when he was still working at Caltech as an engineer. But at that time, which must have been 46 or 47, he came in to see Bill Robeson with a script for a Columbia workshop which Bill bought, and Les was on his way toward being a very successful writer. Les worked with me on Escape, Romance, a number of shows. And when we did start Gunsmoke, it just was obvious that Les would have to be part of the family, which indeed he was. Les was a warm and very funny and very charming man. He was his own man, and he did what he wanted when he wanted. So if you needed him desperately to do a script, he might be available, or he might have been on his way to Africa. And you really never knew. But when he was in town, he wrote well, and he was dependable. The 218th episode was entitled Violent Night. It starred William Conrad, Joyce McCluskey, Don Diamond, Ben Wright, Edgar Barrier, Michael Ann Barrett, Dick Beals, and Byron Kane. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. 
Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are kneeling in the church of a Caribbean village, seeking the sanctuary it might offer. While slowly, walking down the aisle, carefully studying each bowed head, is the brute of a man who has come to kill you. Listen now as Escape brings you Les Crutchfield's story, Violent Night. suddenly wide awake it's a trick you learn around the back countries of the Caribbean if you want to stay alive I didn't move I didn't make a sound just stared into the darkness and listened and then it came again somebody was on the veranda I slid off the cot reached for my pistol on the table and stood up. Barefooted, I moved quietly across the room and stopped by the shutters. Senor O'Grady. Who is it? Pepita. It is Pepita. Pepita? I am come to warn you of terrible danger. Are you alone? See. Si. All right, wait a second. Quickly. What's wrong? What's the matter? Look. Toward the village, toward Monte Miguel. What? What? Fire. What's burning? The estacion of the police, the Federalista army barrack, other places. It is a revolution, senor. Revolution? Who is it? Who's behind it? Alecran. What? He has come out of the jungle again. One thousand men are following him, and now more from the village. He has guns, trucks, cars, radios. He is called himself governor of the district. Governor? He won't last 48 hours. Everyone say it is revolution all over the country. You must leave your plantation and go quickly. Pepita. You, uh... You think he still remembers? Alacran will never forget. Not ever. Not before one of you is dead. Yeah, maybe you're right. All right, thanks, Pepita. Thanks for everything. Ten minutes later, I lay hidden in a clump of bamboo by the irrigation ditch, 30 yards from my house, watching a convoy of army trucks swing in from the highway and roar up the road toward the plantation. I could have struck out then, run away, but I had to know the odds, know whether Alacran was making it personal, whether he still remembered. The trucks skidded to a stop. Men with rifles piled out, circled the house. Spotlights cut through the night, lit up my bungalow, 
probing at the shutters. But I didn't see him until he stepped into the circle of lights and called out. Mr. O'Grady? Mr. Barry O'Grady? Alacron. Your western time, Mr. O'Grady. You may as well come out. Educated in the States, but as cunning and cruel as the wildest Indian in the bush. Are you afraid of me, Mr. O'Grady? Are you afraid to come out and greet an old friend who has not forgotten you for a minute? Alacron, leader of a revolution, self-styled governor of the district. And he'd taken time out to lead this raid personally. Yes, Pepito was right. He hadn't forgotten. He blasted the bolt off my door with a Tommy gun, and then with a half a dozen of his men, he plunged into the house. It was time to get out. I'd wanted to know the odds, and now I knew them. I didn't have a chance. You know why I like radio? The words uh, made your imagination work, and you built a million-dollar set just like that in your mind. And then I like the people in radio, generally speaking, mm-hmm. except George Peroni. Uh, I like George I mean, Peroni, too. Listen, you had to be able to read. You had to be a, a literate person to work in radio. Some very nice people there. And then I liked, because later on I did a lot of film work and I had to do fights. I loved the idea of going into a radio show. Let and the just the, here's the big fight scene. Let the sound do it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Weren't you the one, Don, that we always hesitated to have you in a dying scene because it would always take five minutes? Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> I ran for nearly two miles through my coffee groves, along the banks of the ditches, through the patches of bush before I finally played out. I was beside a narrow road leading back into the hills. I dropped down by the edge of it and tried to get my wind back. Alacron. For two years he'd waited, and now he was coming after me. He'd been trying to start a revolt then, I dragged him away from my workman, taken his gun away from him, and beaten him to a pulp. And now he was back in control of the whole district with a wolf pack at his heels. And then suddenly I I noticed the headlights of a car coming down the road from the hills. The lights were too close together and too low to the ground for an army truck. There were ranches up in the hills, resorts. It might be a private car. It was worth a chance. I worked feverishly. The car was close now and moving fast. I gathered an armful of brush, threw it into the road, struck a match and set fire to it. And then I dropped down in the ditch and waited. All right, easy now. Don't move. Who are you? What do you want? I want your car. No, it is impossible. Let me go or I'll... Oh, no, you don't. Let go of that. Stop it. Stop it. You're hurting me. Take your hands off. Thanks. Well, that's a lot of gun for a lady. Well, we'll take care of that. You fool! Do you know who I am? No. I am the daughter of the governor of this district. Your what? It's true. I am the daughter... I'd heard he had a daughter, but who'd ever expect that fat pig to have one that looks like you? I promise you, senor. If you go on with this, I will see that you are shot against a wall. 
You're too late. Your father already has that idea. Or more likely a worse one. Uh, you know, I think you're going to come in awfully handy before morning. If you think you what are What do I going... call you? What's your name? Maria. All right, Maria, let's get this straight. I got one chance in a thousand of staying alive, and if I can help that chance, I'll do anything. You understand? No, please. Now, we're going to get out of here. We're going to get out together, whatever happens. Your father gets me, and I get you. All right, now get the car started. We came off the side road two miles from Monte Miguel, crossed the main highway and took the old road toward San Vicente. It was 110 miles to the capital, but the sports car was fast. It could outrun any army vehicle Alcatraz's men might have. And there was a good chance he hadn't yet blockaded the San Vicente Highway. Well, it was a good dream. It lasted for two miles. Then it popped like a soap bubble. In the road ahead, senor. Lights, trucks... Men moving. What do you want me to do? Brakes. Hit the brakes. Come on. And get this thing turned around and make it fast. Yenes. Diga, Yenesor. Amigos. Vengues. Vengan por acá. Hola. Si. Si. All right, come on. Step on it. Let's get out of here. Come on. Faster. Well, that was close. Plenty close. We're still lucky. We could have barred straight into that. Well, they blocked us, but at least they didn't get us. And we still got a chance of circling back. What? What's, what's wrong? What is it? I don't know. I'm not doing anything to the moon. Yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, I can smell it. A bullet must oh. have smashed up in the gas tank. We, we're out of petrol? Yeah. Get it over to the side. All right. No farther. Clear over to the canal bank, the irrigation ditch. Go on. All right. Come on, get out. Come on, hurry. What are we going to do? Here, give me a hand. We're going to get it rolling. Come on, into the ditch. All right, come on, let's go. Here. What do you mean? They'll be along here any second. Find where we sank the car. Come after us. We don't have much time. Now, come on. Let's get across that ditch. In the water? No. I will not do it. I will not go into the water. Oh, you won't, huh? All right. Uh, put me down. Put me down. Stop. Hold your breath. <laughs> now, just take it easy. Quit fighting and relax, will you? I'll get you across. It's only 20 feet wide. All right, easy now. All right, here we go. Now grab the bank. Oh, it overtakes me all my life. I'm going to kill you. Maybe not. I might have to kill you first. Now come on. I am not going into that jungle with you. No matter what you do to me, I am not going. Come on, move. Alacran had outmaneuvered me, outflanked me. There was no use trying to break south toward the capital. He had the whole area sewed up. So I decided on a gamble. I turned back, head for the last place on earth he'd look for me. The village of Monte Miguel itself. It was nearly midnight when we entered the village. 
I kept a tight grip on Maria's arm and hurried her through the back streets and alleys, heading toward Pepita's room on the other side of town. Though we didn't make it, a patrol of rebels came around the corner and moved toward us. We couldn't turn and run. We couldn't go on. We were trapped. But we'd stopped in front of a house built flush against the street. The door was only a few feet away. I stepped over and tried it. It was unlocked. I drew my gun and pushed the door open. All right, come on. There's no one in. Inside, quick. What are you going to do? Wait for the patrol to pass. <gasps> now be quiet. Here they come. Not a sound, Maria. Shh. In fact, the head man here has gone out and left some clothes all ready for me. Pantalones, camisa, sarape, sombrero. Now, if we can find something for you... What do you mean? Well, dressed like we are, we don't have a chance. Ah, here. Here, this ought to do it. Catch you. Now, here's a shawl for you. You can throw it over your head and keep it around your face. If you think I am going to change my clothes... Get behind that curtain and do it any way you want, but get into that dress and do it fast. As good as escape was, the writing was on the wall. With no sponsorship forthcoming, the last episode would air on September 25, 1954. The American people got a new toy. The men who owned the toy knew it was going to cost a great deal of money. And so they phased out radio. I told you earlier the story of the $80 savings they would make by moving suspense to New York. This is, they've got down to that. It got down from a 13-piece orchestra, 11-piece orchestra, an 8-piece orchestra, to a trio, and finally to the organ. So it was that kind of attrition that occurred. And they killed it because you can spin records, and you have a disc jockey, or you can automate the whole day's programming. You have a newsman and a disc jockey, and you operate. Because... People went home and looked at their new toy. They weren't listening to radio. And now, as I think I said, you have a generation of people who don't know how to listen, who must have a picture to bolster up. They miss the beauty of the human voice, which is something I think you always... Uh, well, they miss the beauty of their own imaginations. It's too much effort to think. That tube is up there. You don't have to think at all. You just sit there and eat that stuff and drink that beer and get fat. But, you know, we're never going to pull those men off the moon. No, we got to go now to Mars. I don't know why. You know, you kill a lot of men that way eventually. But once you've made that step, you can't go back. You made the step to television, you can't go back to radio. A lot of us old poops will talk of, as we're talking now, but my 10-year-old son couldn't care less about that. <laughs> 